We did the Ukrainian Merry Christmas. There's also a Greek one. It's Kala Christugena. Athena? Kala Christugena. And Kala is wishing you well. And the implied thing that you're being wished well on is a celebration. And then Christugena literally tells you what it's about. Christ born. Wishing you well as you celebrate the birth of Christ. You hear it in Kala Christugena. In English, Merry Christmas. And you barely can even see Christ in there. People have blurred it out. That's why I say Merry Christmas to everybody to make sure they see Christ in Christmas. Now, I was imagining if I had a chance to have an angel a messenger of God, a heavenly messenger. God sends these messengers out when there's big news to proclaim so that we might hear that news and uh, know what God wants us to hear and understand from him. I was imagining having an angel in front of him and being given the opportunity, given it's Christmas today, to ask a question. And so my question to the angel would be this, because I want him to be very short on how he speaks his message. I, I, I would say in seven words or less, what's so big about Christmas? Only seven words or less. Now, you can imagine what would be, well, I tried to imagine what would be happening in that angel's mind. He'd be going through prophecies and all sorts of things that had been said thousands and hundreds of years, for 1,600 years. Things that were said about Christmas before it ever happened. So many prophecies, so many heads up that God had given about what was coming and how big it was. Coming soon, coming soon. It's like this preview again and again because it's so big. Well, the angel might go to Isaiah 9, 6 and say, well, maybe he'd think it, unto us a child is born. That's a human thing. Unto us a son is given. That's a God thing. That's a divine thing because we know God loved the world so much, he gave, he had given his son. And it might not be that clear that it's divine, but if you keep going on in that scripture, of course, we've gone to 13 words so far. So it, it probably wouldn't be a good answer. But let's continue. The God would be on his shoulders, and they would call him Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God and Everlasting Father. This is certainly a God thing, a divine thing, a child being born, a human earthly thing. This child, this son given to us, called Mighty God and Everlasting Father, that's a God thing. And it finishes by saying they'll also call him Prince of Peace. That's 32 words. That angel probably would not choose that. Okay, but the angel might think, okay, well, why don't, we, why don't I just echo what an angel said the night he was born in Luke chapter 2. An angel appeared, as you know, and he said, unto you, the human race, a Savior. Unto you, a Savior, for, is born. 
Six words. Ding. Number one answer. You got it under seven words. He might say that, but maybe I would say, well, wow, that's pretty good. Can you do it in less words? And then the angel might get creative in terms of how he says this. He knows the truth. So he might say, what's so big about Christmas? God's human birth on earth. Five words. Can you do it in less than five words? He might say, God became flesh. That's John 1.14. All these things are true things about Christmas and the bigness of Christmas. Can you do it in one word? Isaiah 7.14. Emmanuel. That's one compound word. It's a name, actually. It's a prophetic name, and you all know what it means. What does it mean? God with us here on earth in the flesh. That's a down-to-earth God. He came all the way down here into this world. The Son of God became the Son of mankind and dwelt among us. Jesus deserves the title and the name God with us. And that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on the bigness of Christmas and specifically this name Emmanuel, with us God, that Jesus was called prophetically. We're going to look at the history of the name. Where did this name come from? And then we're going to look at the actualization, the fulfillment, when it happened, how it happened. So let's go back to the history. In Isaiah 7:14, the Lord says, He will give you a sign. A signal, uh, something that people would see and say, wow, this never happens. Daryl said it. Scientifically, it's impossible for a virgin to conceive. And we're not talking about only sexual encounter with a man. We're talking about no technology back then was used or anything. We have artificial insemination. None of that. A virgin supernaturally will conceive and she will give birth to a son. Virgin conception, virgin birth. A miraculous conception, a miraculous birth by a virgin. And when he is born, they will call him something. What will they call him? Emmanuel. God with us. Okay, so that was prophesied. It was 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ that that prophecy was given, about 700 years. 700 years later, that's a long time. 700 years later, there's other prophecies. We're only going to look at this one for now. 700 years later, there was a visitation by a big angel. Not just an angel, but an arch angel. That means one who is over other angels, archi. One who has government over them. An archangel, one who ministers before the throne of God, was sent by God to a virgin named Mary, a young woman. She was betrothed to be married to Joseph, but 
They had never come together. It was just a promised marriage, an arranged marriage, where Joseph would build a house and eventually he would come to take her to be his wife and they would actually come together in marriage. But that had not yet happened. And here is this virgin being visited by the archangel Gabriel and he gives her this greeting that makes her go, whoa. First he says, do not be afraid. Greetings, Mary. Do not be afraid. For you have found favor with God. What does that mean? You're the one. You're the virgin. You're the one he has set apart for this. You are the one he has chosen to be the one who will bring the Son of God through your womb into this world, from the heavenly realm into the earthly realm. You're the one. And we're like, whoa, that's big. Like, what was she thinking? Maybe she knew the scripture. Maybe she knew Isaiah 7:14. Maybe she was being reminded, whoa, whoa, this is familiar, but I, I never thought I'd be the one. And then he begins to describe this sounds exactly like Isaiah 7:14. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. And Jesus means God's salvation. And not only that, he says he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. He's not just the son of mankind. He's not just going to be your son. He's God's son, the son of the most high God. And of course, Mary's, whew, how's this going to happen? How will this be? I, I'm a virgin. I don't understand how these things work. How, what am I to expect? And he says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will come to you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is going to be supernatural, Mary, nothing short of that. That's how it's going to happen, by the power of the Holy Spirit who will come to you. And then he says it one more time, but in a different way, <laughs> so that the Holy One that will be born from you will be called the Son of God. This is a big thing. So we've moved from prophecy to now it's, it's upon us. This is the virgin. It's happening. Has it happened yet? Not yet. It's just an announcement. But he told her what to expect, and it did happen. This is like a miraculous sign. This will be a sign to you. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And Mary was the one. So it happened. God did it. <laughs> the word, which is another name for God the Son, through whom we were created, and for whom we were created, God was sending his son into the world to become a human being, to connect with the human race and take that connection and bring us into reconnecting us into a relationship with God the Father. No one can come to God the Father except through me, Jesus said. He sent me to come and get you and bring you back into a covenant relationship 
with him. There is, it doesn't matter what people tell you in this world, there is no other way. I'll take Jesus' word over that, over anything anyone else says. He said there's no other way. If there was, he would say there's, there's more ways. This is only one way. But he said, I am the way. There is no other way. God sent me to come and make this possible. And so it's huge that he actually was willing to come and become part of the human race. The Bible says that Jesus dwells in unapproachable light. You can't approach him. And yet, he became so approachable when God, the Son, became human and came down to earth and was here among us. You could approach God. Have you ever seen God? Of course I've seen God. I've seen him in the flesh. I look back 2,000 years ago through the eyes of so many eyewitnesses. You just have to read history and see that the human race... Me, you, and generations uh, past the one that saw it. The eyewitnesses saw him and saw too many things to, to, to deny that it was God. And we're going to take a look, a closer look, with, with these eyewitnesses. Because if I just leave it to, wow, it's God's human birth on earth, you might say, well, that's fake. That's a fairy tale. Someone told me that out there. I thought that was just a fairy tale like song, Santa Claus. Does Jesus come down the, the chimney? And it's like, what are you talking about? Real huge mix-ups out there. We're going to fast forward from his birth. Well, actually, let's go to his birth first. I skipped the birth. How could I skip the birth? Big things happened that night. God sent more angels on the night he was born. So this is nine months later after Gabriel and Mary and that transaction where he told her what was going to happen and what to expect Nine months later, <laughs> he was born in Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Well, because the government made it happen. They would not have been in Bethlehem, but there was a census being taken, and Joseph had to go, and Mary went with Joseph, and she was nine months pregnant, and the time came, the water broke, it's time to give birth, and man, she didn't want to give birth to Bethlehem, but that's where it was going to happen. And the Bible says he would be born in Bethlehem. Jesus never chose to be born in Bethlehem, but God made it clear that's where he's going to be born. That's just another sign. You might think, well, that's nothing. You can't, you can't choose in the womb where you're going to be born, and he was born exactly where the prophet has said he would be born, in Bethlehem of Judea. So now he's born, and nobody knows. The whole world doesn't know, except some magi that I talked about before. They're coming because a, a king of Israel has been born, and we've come to worship, and we saw his star on the east. So you're thinking, what star? And they had this sorcerer in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 24. His name was Balaam. He's not even a prophet of God, and God took control of his mouth, and he said, I saw his star rising up out of Jacob, and that's Israel, and a scepter shall rise out of Jacob and Israel, and it's like a king is born, and there's a star related, and they saw it, and they probably had a scripture. You know, these are magi, and Balaam, some people call him an ancient magi. He was a sorcerer, magician, and these guys collected all sorts of things, so they, they knew they were looking for him, but no one else was looking that night. No one even had a clue. But God sent to a nearby field where Jesus was born a huge angel. How do I know he's huge? Well, maybe I, I I'm just guessing he was huge. He terrified these shepherds. It was nighttime. 
They were watching their sheep. That's what they did. They were awake, on watch, you know, making sure the wolves don't get the sheep. And an angel appears, and it says, the glory. this is an angel of light in the night. And suddenly there's light shining all around these guys. The glory of the Lord is shining all around them. And it says they're terrified, not just afraid, terror. They're terrified. And the first thing he says, like angels always do, is do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Back in Genesis 28, it said as a promise, when he is born, all people on earth will be blessed. Not just, Jeru- not just Israel, but all nations will be blessed. Yes, he was born in Israel. Yes, he was born in, uh, uh, in Israel, the land, as it was said that he would be born. And he has come for all of us to bless the entire human race. And now this angel comes and it says, this is good news for all people. What's the news? Here in the town of David, which is Bethlehem, a Savior, as I said before, has been born. Who is he? And then he says first, he is Christ. What does that mean? The Messiah. The one you knew would come. He's arrived. He's here. He's born. He's on earth. He's the appointed one. Christ means appointed one. The one that God had appointed to come long ago with all this. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. He's here. And then he finishes by saying, not just he's Christ. The Lord. This angel is saying, this is huge. It's big. It's not just a man. The one we know as Lord in heaven is now here down on earth with you. Emmanuel, God is here with you now. In the flesh. And you're thinking, wow, okay, that's huge. But how do I know it's true if I join my unbelieving friend who said that? You know, how do you know it's not a fairy tale? We've got too much historical documents. Your faith is not a blind faith. My faith is not a blind faith. It's based on evidence. Scientifically, you can go back and see the evidence. It's history. It's documented. There's too many witnesses, as Daryl said, to deny this. Only ignorance would say it's not real. You just have to keep ignoring it and say it's not real. But if you take a good look, even the smartest people in history have taken a look and they couldn't walk away without saying, this is real. You can't deny this. And so I'm declaring you the reality of God with us on earth here today. Let's fast forward into the future of Jesus' adult life. He was born. Angels raved about him and highlighted more angels. It says a whole army. That night, if you think the one angel made the shepherds afraid, imagine Stratavma, a whole army, an encampment of angels was dispatched by God. He's like, go, now it's your turn. And they all appeared in that field, and then the whole field was lit up by angels of light. And what did they do? They sang their news. They said, glory to God in highest heaven and on earth, peace. To mankind on whom his favor, this gift of God's grace, this favor, on whom his favor rests. Because you can turn your back and say, no, I don't want Jesus. 
But on whomever's heart and life opens up and says, wow, this is big and I receive it. Whoever receives this gift of God's favor, peace. Peace between you and God. Peace between you and God and the future. Your, your whole future will change. Where your eternal life and uh, destiny and the final state of where you're going to go even beyond the grave completely changes when your heart receives this favor that God has shown in giving us his son. Well, let's go to some adult things. We do know from Genesis 2 that human beings, earthlings, were created out of the earth. From the dust of the earth we were created, it says, about Adam in Genesis 2. Why am I saying that? Because God in the flesh, when he was on earth, there was a situation where he walked by and noticed a blind man, born blind. He was in the dark from birth. And he not only noticed him, he could have, Jesus could have said, be well, and he could have got his sight back. Jesus could have went up to him and said, let me put my hands on your eyes. Eyes be opened, and he could have seen. But he didn't do that. God, who created us out of the earth, thought, hmm, this is a good time to display that I am God who created human beings out of the earth, and I am God who can come to a blind man and take the earth. He spit on the soil and made some mud so that it wasn't dry, but it was a, like a muddy paste. He took the dust of the earth with, with saliva in it, his human saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. And he said, go wash. Wash it off in the pool of Siloam. And they took him to this pool. I don't know how far it was from that spot. But when they took him to the pool and he did what Jesus said and he washed his eyes, for the first time, his eyes had light. They had sight. They could see. He was not in the dark anymore. And then he got in trouble by the religious authorities. Tell us again, what did he do to you? I'm a guy that was blind, and now I see. All I know is he took mud, put it on my eyes, and said, wash. And when I did, I could see. Tell us again, what did he, why are you guys asking me over and over again? They brought his parents. Is this your son? Was he born blind? This is our son, and he was born blind, but we have no clue how he can now see. I'll tell you how he could see. God in the flesh with us on earth saw him and thought, I made them out of the earth. I'll fix those eyes out of the earth. And he did it. No other human being could ever do that. No one can do that except if they were God with the power to create and the power to recreate. And that's what he did that day. Well, Jesus heard that this guy got kicked out of the synagogue. They, you, you're not even worthy of being listened to. You're not part of the community anymore. You're out of the synagogue. And this guy is like still happy he could see. He, Jesus finds him because Jesus heard what they did. They kicked him out. And then he says, uh, do you believe in the Son of Man? That's a title for the Messiah in the book of Daniel. And the, the man said, who, who is he, Lord? And then Jesus said, you're looking at him. <laughs> <laughs>
And the man fell down and worshipped Jesus. He worshipped. Whether he knew it fully or not, he worshipped God in the flesh who recreated his eyes. Well, that might not be enough for my unbelieving friend who says, well, eh, maybe that was magic. As th those, religious, those religious teachers were thinking he, he did that, it was magic of some sort of sorcery. Okay, moving on. Let's go to Matthew 14. This is a whole other time and a whole other testimony, another situation. Uh, Jesus just fed 5,000. That's a pretty huge miracle because he only had a few loaves and a few fish, and he fed everyone. God did that in the desert. They knew that was God. Now here's Jesus doing a desert thing. They're all in a desert place, and he feeds them all from nothing. He just blesses it, puts it. Uh, in the disciples' hands, and he says, put it before the people. And they keep taking from a few loaves, and it says all 5,000 were full, and there were 12 baskets left over. And it's like, okay, that is God. But what does Jesus do afterwards? He tells his disciples, I'm going to dismiss these guys. You guys go. Get in the boat. Go, go, get in the boat, and I'll meet you on the other side. See you, Galilee. And they start rowing. <laughs> Jesus went up to a mountain. He was praying for hours. We know it's for hours because it says at the fourth watch of the night, which is between, I didn't know what the fourth watch was, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., he was praying all night. So they were rowing for a long time. They were far from shore. And then he decided to get in a speedboat and go to them. No, that's a human thing. God in the flesh did a divine thing. You'd think, did he get a ride? No, he didn't get a ride. He didn't need a ride. He said he would meet up with them, and he actually caught up to them. It says he decided to walk on water and go all the way to them. When he approached the boat and they saw him coming, it's like nighttime, there's wind, there's waves. <laughs> ah! It says they cried out with fear. Because they thought they were seeing a ghost. That must be a ghost. There's no, there's no way it's not a ghost. What is that hap coming toward us on the water? And it says, like, it's a ghost. And Jesus says, take courage from the distance. <laughs> it is I. It's me. And they're like amazed. Uh, amazed again and again and again. Like, who is this? It's God in the flesh walking with human feet on water. And then Peter says, if it's you, Lord, call me, command me to come out on the water. If it's you, you can actually get me to do this too. And Jesus gives one word, come. And Peter decides to get out of the boat. <laughs> he starts walking on water. It's just on one word. Jesus said it, it's a done deal. And Peter believed it and he walked on water. Believing Jesus at his word, but he had a little faith. It didn't last long. It, it, it twisted away into fear and doubt because the wind came and he got distracted, the waves, and he just focused on that and he started to sink. And Jesus leaned in and he, still on water, picked him up and he goes, oh, you little faither, why did you doubt? I guess you're not used to this yet. <laughs> Let's leave this boat and go to another boat. The other boat is a, is a whole other time. It's another situation. They're in a boat, and it says a huge storm broke out. Jesus is in the bottom of the boat this time. 
So leave the water situation and walking. Jesus is doing a human thing. He's in the bottom of a boat, and he's sleeping. He needs a rest, ministering all day long. He's taking a break on the water. And this boat must have been rocking and shaking because it says a huge storm, a squall, which means the wind is, is blowing all around it. So the boat is not just going like this. It's going all over the place to the point where the disciples thought they were in danger of death, of drowning, because water started flowing into the boat, and Jesus was down there sleeping, and they went down, and they said, Lord, don't you care? Aren't you mindful of what's going on here? We're dying. We're perishing. And you're sleeping? Yeah. When you're God in the flesh, you can relax even when there's a storm. But when you're human, you panic. And it says they were afraid they were going to die. And so Jesus got up, and he did the divine thing. From sleeping, now he, it says he rebuked and said something. He rebuked the wind, the weather, and he said something to the waves. It's almost like he took a remote control and he said, what? And it stopped. The wind died down. And then to the waves he said, be still. And the waves, one person described the, the, the words there, became completely like glass. Imagine waves all over the place, and now they're completely still. And the disciples, you know, now they were feeling really calm. No, it says they went from fear to terror. These guys keep getting afraid and terrified of God in the flesh. And it is. It's a, it's a wonderful, amazing, terrifying thing to be in fellowship with God in the flesh. What they said was, they're in the same boat now. Whoa. Who is this that he even commands the wind and tells the waves to be still and they do what he says? They are shocked. These are eyewitnesses. These are the people we look at for the faith we have today. And I'll tell you the answer on who this is. This is Emmanuel. It's big. The birth was big. The one who was on earth was big. And they are experiencing every bit of that being in fellowship with him for three straight years of this kind of stuff. I'll take you to a final scene. When I was a kid, I watched this alien movie. Alien means not from this world, from out of this world. And the alien all throughout the movie looked like a human being. Until one moment it was in the room... <laughs> He decided to reveal that he is not of this world. And they freaked out because he did a full reveal, a full disclosure. I won't tell you what they saw, take too many details. I'll give you a better div a reveal, a, a huger reveal. Jesus decided, Peter, James, John, come with me. I want to show you something. <laughs> and he took them up to a mountain, Mount Tabor. And up on that mountain, they saw things and they heard things that were from out of this world. Peter, in the second letter, if you go read it, he wrote about it. They, they were told, you're not allowed to tell anyone about this until I die and rise. Then go tell everyone. This is going to be your testimony. Let it encourage you now when I go through the cross, and then tell everyone this story too on what you saw and heard. What did they see? 
they saw Jesus transfigured. So he totally looked human up to that point. But he decided, I'm not just human, and I'm going to reveal that today to Peter, James, and John. So it says his face became like the sun. Now imagine, I can look at your face, but imagine suddenly your face is shining like the sun, and I'm looking at bright light coming out of your face and can barely, barely handle it. Glory. They were terrified of the glory of the angel uh, coming all around the shepherds. Imagine Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, revealing his divine nature in his face. The one present there was God. And even his clothes, even his clothes were affected by his divine nature in this transfiguration. It says his clothes became like white light. Imagine light. Suddenly this, I don't have a white shirt. I have a white shirt, but suddenly it becomes gleaming and radiant and it becomes light. And they're like, whoa. But it didn't end there. To make sure they knew who he was, <laughs> he not only revealed himself, but it says a cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love, whom I'm well pleased with. Listen to him. Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God who became the Son of mankind, God with us in the flesh on earth. And angels raved about this, and humans do too. This is nothing, this is not something you and I should hide. You might, if even if it was one person here with me today, I would be ecstatic. I would be excited. Not because it's just me and one person, but because this is amazing, big news. What Christmas is about is huge. I wish I could tell everyone in the world right now. I'm gonna give you a challenge close this. I don't know how much more celebrating you have ahead this Christmas. Maybe you have some more gatherings or whatever, small or big, or leave it for the future. Maybe during the year or maybe next Christmas. But here's the challenge. I challenge you to do two things. Light a candle, because it is a birthday, and then speak. Say something. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. In relationship to him, you are to reflect his light and glory to the world. Uh, we are like stars in a dark universe. We're to shine this light. We're not to keep it covered or dark. We're to make it known. So light the candle and maybe pray and thank. Give a, give a, give a thankful prayer for the bigness of Christmas. Let someone hear on why it's so big. It could be very simple what you pray. Or open up a scripture and read it for one minute. The scripture itself is enough even if you don't preach. It's, it's enough. It's profound. Someone might get cut to the heart. What do you mean? What does this mean? And then talk more if they ask. Or just say something on why it's so big. I would say it's God's human birth on earth. I would use that and let them wonder and ask that day or down the road, why did you say, why do you believe that? And then I would begin to track into all of these kinds of things we're talking about and more. God bless you in the challenge. God bless you this Christmas. Be encouraged.